0: Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mancers Podcast. If you've been in a funk for, and over the past couple of months, you know, the coronavirus really got you down. Well, I got some great news for you. If you've been stressed and you've been just at each other's throats, I have some great news for you. Something that will cheer you up. All right, so here it is. The election's almost over. Yes, that's right. We don't have v- much longer before the election cycle is over and we get a break. That means here in just another, what, week and a half? Right. The election will be over. That means the end of all those campaign ads. Oh, that means the end of all those annoying phone calls. The end of all of those mailbox stuffers, you know, and postcards and, you know, mailers, you know, the end of all of that and the end of all of those unsolicited text messages. Oh my God, whatever campaign, you know, our campaign advisor first came up with the idea of, hey, you know what? I have a great idea. Why don't we send people unsolicited text messages? yes, that will be great. They they don't answer our phone calls anymore. They screen their calls. If they see a number they don't recognize, they don't answer it. You know, so we need a new way to get to them. So let's send them text messages. Yes, because it will show up as a notification on their phones. And therefore, they're more likely to see it. And we'll be able to convince them that way whoever came up with the idea of unsolicited political ads in the form of text messages should be taken out and shot. That is annoying. And then, of course, they say, you know, reply was stopped to opt out. Well, hell, I don't remember ever opting in. You know, seriously, if I was looking at this from a marketing standpoint, and I know, I know, this is just a little bit of a rant up front. But if I was looking at it from a marketing standpoint, I would say whoever came up with this idea was the biggest idiot of all time. You're not winning over voters. You're pissing people off. I mean, I tend to vote, you know, a certain way, you know, pretty consistently. And yet I'm more likely to vote against someone just because they hounded me with text messages than I am to vote for someone because of policies. At least in the local races, you know, national. Okay. You know, I get it. I may put up with the annoying text messages, but you know, I'm just looking at it from a marketing standpoint. And this is the dumbest idea. And then of course it's even dumber when you get to the fact that they don't even call you by your right name. So just to put into some context here, I've had the same cell phone number. For about what eighteen years now, you know, give or take eighteen years now, wow, now that I start putting that into some perspective, that's pretty sad, but in any event, I've had the same phone number for roughly eighteen years, and yet they go, Karen, Sally, you know that they call me all these girls' names, you know and, and trying to ask me you know, or convince me to vote this way or that way. It's like, you idiot. You know, you're sending me all these unsolicited text messages and then you can't even get your records right to know whose name you're, you know, you're texting. You know, someone screw up your file, your database. My God. So think about this. The election is almost over. And and you know, I come at this as a political junkie. I have another podcast out there. It's a political podcast. And so I, I, I am very much into politics. And even I get annoyed by all the political ads, the campaigns, and all the BS as every candidate tries to blow smoke up your rear end. You know, at, at this point, I want to say every politician is trying to peg you. <laughs> you know. And then to convince you to bend over backwards while they screw you without any lube. okay, now it's time for the depressing news. Is that that reprieve that we're going to get after the election cycle? Well, that only lasts until the next election cycle, which will be starting in about just after the holidays. you know, so we're really only going to get about two or three months break. From all the poli- from all the campaigning before people start coming up and thinking, Oh my God, we got a midterm coming up. You know, in my state, you know, there was uh, a question on the ballot about, you know, article five convention of states. And, you know, I'm not going to go through what all of that is, but it's basically to propose amendments to the constitution you know, amendments to the constitution. Okay. Well, you know what? I know, I know I'm get diving into politics here, but I'm annoyed. So yes, I voted yes. Let's amend the constitution. But here's what I want to see as the amendment. You cannot start campaigning until, um, what? March or April of that election year. You can't start running campaign ads you can't start doing mailers, you can't do call, you can't do any campaign activities until March of that election year, okay? And even then, you know, I'm sure that will get annoying, but still, give us a bit of a break. You know, give us, you know, about, you know, a year and a quarter to recover from the last election cycle. Okay, that's one thing. Two, You cannot do text messages. That should be the one thing that is completely banned. All right. One thing that is completely banned. And another amendment that I would definitely have passed is term limit. Term limit everybody. Term limit Congress. Term limit the Senate. Heck, term limit all the judges. All right. We need to have a lot of turnover in government. Why? Well, it's as Robin Williams said, politicians are like a dirty diaper. They need to be changed often and usually for the same reason. My God, I'm just sick and tired and annoyed by all of the campaign and the campaign ads and the non-stop campaigning. How you only get a few months break before the next campaign cycle begins. You know, it's almost as if we have gotten to a situation where we are in a never-ending campaign, you know, and it's all there to keep us distracted. It's all there to keep us divided. And it's all there, well, because the political consultants, they want money. So they kept pushing, start the campaigns earlier, start the campaigns earlier, you know, because they wanted more money, you know, and charge more consultant fees by having longer election cycles, right? But it seems like it's when I take a look around at the culture, you know, it seems like this never-ending campaign cycle. you know, where every campaign cycle starts almost immediately after the last one in. You, you notice how that keeps us all divided because we're always in campaign mode and we're always going off and going, I'm voting for you know, this party, straight party tickets, you know, and we act like politics is a sports team, don't we? And I will tie this in uh, to the rest of the show. Don't worry about that. You know, but I'm starting to go through and thinking, everyone's starting to think about politics like a sports team, like, like it's the NFL. You know, you go through, you look at the players, you go, yeah, my team sucks this year, but you know, they're my team. So I'm going to root for them, yeah. And you know, maybe next year or or the next season or the next election cycle, in this particular case, you know, we'll have better players to choose from. You know, there'll be better players in the draft. You know, but you know, we just gotta you know keep rooting for my team because I've been their fans. You know, I've been going this way, voting this way with this particular political party you know, I really hate the whole idea of political parties, you know, because it always creates a, you know, right versus left rather than uh people versus uh crooked politicians, you know, it's always, you know, interesting, you know, how people, you know, just kind of ignore everything or will give politicians a pass on just about everything, because they either have an a D or an R by their name, and I did that in alphabetical order, all right? And it's this whole team mentality and never-ending campaign. You know, it's like never-ending playoffs for football, and your team made it into the playoffs, and you're going off and rooting for them, yeah. You know? And and even though they annoy the hell out of you but you look at it in terms of teams rather than, well, does this person actually represent the best interest of my community? You know, because there's a lot of people out there that will vote against their community just because they just identify, you know, as, well, they're part of my party. So, you know, they may be horrible people, but You know, I want to win. I want to have that sense that my side won. You know, why? But it's this whole identifying our, you know, trying to equate ourselves personally to these politicians, you know, or trying to wrap up our identities into the little boxes that they put out for us. And this whole, if you're not in this box, then, you know, uh, then you're a horrible person, or anybody that's not in the box that they put you in is against you, and you got to protect yourself and you may align temporarily with people in other boxes, but for the most part, anybody who's not in that box is against you, and they're you know just evil, horrible people, and it's this never ending campaign cycle that's always trying to go off and keep us divided, you know, and keep us divided into these boxes, right? And they try to, you know, create, you know, all this division to keep us all fighting amongst each other, rather than, you know, actually paying attention to what they are doing in DC. And part of that box is to get you emotionally attached to that box to identify not as individuals, but as groups, as collectives, and to promote a certain narrative about whether you're a victim group or you're an oppressor group. And if you're an oppressor group, you must bow down and now become subservient to the currently oppressed group, right? And they'll go off and try to give you some statistics or, you know, go give you aggregate numbers about, you know, problems that are affecting people that they believe you should identify with. Now, they do this largely by either race or gender. And let's take a look here about how they do it uh, regarding gender. And then how that affects your relationship. Now, in this election cycle, it has been probably worse than other election cycles as far as trying to divide the nation based off of categories of race and gender. And it's always been there, at least in every election cycle of my lifetime that I'm aware of. But it was even more prevalent here. And there's a reason why they're trying to do this, while they're all trying to fit everybody into boxes and to get you emotionally invested in being in those boxes. And if you do this based off of gender, it can be very damaging to your relationship because of what's called emotional outrage transference. So maybe you're not aware of this. So let's say you're in a, political ideology, right? And that political ideology is trying to preach the idea of, the, of victim groups and being victimized and trying to convince you that you are a victim. And so maybe you go off and you believe in that, po- you know, that political party. And so you go off and go, well, I have this particular genitalia. And let's say that genitalia is, you know, uh, for women, right? You have a vagina. That's your genitalia. So what do they do? Well, to try and help reinforce the idea of these boxes, they'll come up with things like gender studies, you know, or female empowerment studies or, you know, classes on, you know, uh, the suffrage movement, you know, these type of things, right? But instead of just giving you the facts and the dates or whatever, they try to, you know, go through and say the victimization based off of gender and then try to convince you it's still happening today. So that if you can, you know, go through and believe that, oh man, you know, just because of my immutable characteristics, you know, my genitalia, I am oppressed. Well, then what do you do? you go off and you seek out what's called confirmation bias. So you start looking at articles. Well, you know, how many women have, you know, suffered, you know, such and such, right? You know, pick the, you know, issue here, you know, and there are some bad issues. You know, um you can type in, you know, woman was raped and you'll come up with all of these articles. You know, you can probably find, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of articles. Never mind that a lot of them are duplication, okay? Because it's the same situation being reported by multiple outlets, okay? Okay? But you start going off and you start seeking out only stories that fit that particular, you know, narrative, that particular idea that Man, there's this whole rape culture that is going on and it's prevalent. And, you know, uh, and then before long, you go down this rabbit hole whereby just because you're looking for all of these articles on rape that you believe that, you know, we live in a horrible country where rape is rampant. And because you look for that online, you know, you do a Google search, whether you do it on your phone or your computer, social media, right? is tracking your internet movement. So if you are wondering how it is that, you know, in your Facebook algorithm, you know, or your Facebook feed, you know, you could go off and do a Google search. And then all of a sudden you see ads for that particular product or that, you know, particular, you know, politician or whatever show up all of a sudden in your news feed on Facebook. You know, and you're like, hmm, I wonder how that happens because they're tracking you they got they put cookies on your computer, tracking cookies, which is going through and collecting data on your search engine, you know, what you're doing on your computer, you know, for what is, you know, of interest to you, so that when marketers pay Facebook, hey, I want to get people that are between this age group, uh, living in this location, who have an interest in this particular subject, well, they know who to deliver those ads to, because they're constantly collecting information on you. So when you start going off and doing searches, let's say in this particular example, you know, rape, right? Well, then all of a sudden your Facebook news feed goes, oh, here's a new particular interest topic. And all of a sudden it starts feeding you all of these stories about rape and victims. And Facebook knows because they did uh, research a while ago, they did an experiment years ago whereby they delivered, you know, uh, only happy news to one group of people and only sad and depressing news to a different group of people. And they realized that, you know, they could affect based off of their algorithms, what your mood is, you know, how they can get you, you know, to be in a horrible, depressive mood if they just gave you a bunch of depressing information in your newsfeed. It was very interesting. And they're doing it with politics, uh, too. But this gets into confirmation bias and how you get into that, you know, little media bubble. So all of a sudden, you start seeing all of these articles that are based off of rape. And you see it showing up in your news feed now on Facebook. And now you're convinced this is a horrible country. But here's the issue. You want to go off and say, "Hey, you know there was—I don't know—I'm just going to make up a number. You know, I'm just going to make it up. I don't know what the actual statistic is, at least not off the top of my head. But let's say, you know, it's—you know—I don't know—a hundred thousand women, uh, right? I'm just going to go with a big nice, a big number and a nice round number. You know, a hundred thousand women were. You know, I raped, you know, in the previous year and you're going a hundred thousand. Wow. That is a lot. That is horrible, but you gotta understand, you know, with numbers, right? What is that as a percentage of the population though? A hundred thousand. I mean, and he's, let's first off, before I continue this on, let's first agree that even a single instance of rape is horrible and one too many. All right but well, I'm just using this as an example to, to try and go through and then explain the emotional outrage transference. So you go, 100,000 people, that's a lot. Well, is it though? I mean, I, I asked that because, well, what percentage is that of the population? Well, if we only had 1 million people in this country, well, that would represent 10% right? But we don't have just 1 million people in this country. We have over 320 million people in this country, which would mean that that 100,000, you know, uh, people, 100,000 girls, you know, women, you know, represents a very small fraction. Even if you go by, okay, half the population is women Alright, right, that would still be, what, 160 million people? Okay, Uh, 100,000 out of 160. Yeah, that's a fraction of a percent. And so you guys start understanding the difference between large numbers and large percentages, because the larger the population of the country, and I believe the United States has, like, third largest uh, population in the world you know, the larger the size of the country, the larger the number of total incidences can be and still represent only a, you know, very small, minuscule percentage of the population. I mean, if you were to go off and say a 100,000 women in China, I mean, out of, you know, what, a billion people? I mean, that number, that percentage is so small, it wouldn't even be a blimp on the radar. So you got to start understanding this. But you take a look at the total number and then you start going, okay, all these women are being victimized. I'm a woman. And then you start emotionally identifying with these victims just because you have a shared gen, because you have the same genitalia and you start internalizing what happened to them as happening to you. You're not taking a look at percentages and total numbers. you're just taking a look at total numbers and not understanding that okay, that is maybe one one thousandth of a percent of women out there, which means the other ninety nine point you know nine 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 whatever you know never encounter this, but because you start going down that rabbit hole of the Google searches and then that goes through and affects your algorithms, and you're being told in your women's studies, you know, that this is a pervasive issue, right? And remember, this is just an example to try and explain emotional outrage transference. I'm not using the real numbers here, you know, but you start internalizing that. You start feeling like a victim. You start, you know, feeling like anything that happens to anybody else with the same genitalia, Anything that happens to them, you take that as equivalent to it happening to you and you start acting upon it. Right. Now actors do this all the time where they try to emotionally, you know, uh, get into their characters to make it believable. And then once you start emotionally transferring all of that, all of the, all of the outrage, all of the, you know, victimization, you know, that you are, you know, internalizing into yourself from something that never even happened to you. Right? Keep in mind, it didn't happen to you. It just happened to someone else and you're acting as though it happened to you. And you are, you know, believing yourself to be the victim. All right. And then you start going, well, who's the problem? Well, if you're talking about women who were raped um out of that probably most likely the perpetrator was a man right so then you start feeling like you know emotionally transferring you know not only you being a victim because you share the same genitalia as the victim but then you start taking a look at the people in your life and you start transferring onto them as being the same as the perpetrator why because they have the same genitalia as the perpetrator, because we are being taught by, you know, the political class and the nonstop politics that we, if anything happens to somebody with the same genitalia as us, it's the same as happening to us. If anything happens to someone with the same skin color as us, then it's the same as it happening to us. We become emotionally invested in that and we start taking it out on people around us. If they have the same immutable characteristics, you know, physical features as that of the perpetrator who committed an offense against someone who we share an immutable characteristic with. And so, you know, for you women out there, you start, you know, getting very much deep involved in this circle and this believing, you're going off and you're getting all this confirmation bias because you're being fed only results in your search engine that meet your search parameters. Go figure. Right. And then you emotionally transfer, you know, the victimhood uh, to yourself and you emotionally, you know, the anger and all that about the perpetrator and you're transferring that onto your husband, onto your boyfriend. You know, And all of a sudden you got problems in your relationship, even though he never committed the act and you were never a victim of, you know, such an act. But yet you act and feel as though you were. That's what emotional outrage transference is. You know, maybe some people might talk about it as just outrage culture, which is just a generic term of people who are just outraged at anything just because they want attention, or they just act like they're outraged at anything because, you know, anybody who disagrees with them is a direct threat to their very existence. And it's not just damaging in your romantic relationships, it's damaging, you know, with family members, you know, uh, a parent, a sibling, cousin, who have, you know, immutable characteristics. And when we talk about immutable characteristics, when it comes to gender, there's only two options, right? Male or female, that's it. You know, so chances are there's always going to be somebody in your life that has immutable characteristics of the opposite gender. And this whole getting outraged about things that never actually happened to you and then taking it out on your spouse. And trying to identify them. I mean, it's the same concept as you getting mad or pissed off at your boyfriend, fiance, husband, wherever you are in your relationship. But you getting pissed off and punishing them for something that happened only in your dream. You know, that they didn't even do, but you just dreamt about it. You imagined it. And then you take it out on them. Right? Why? Because you're emotionally transferring how your dream made you feel and what somebody did in your dream, and you're transferring that feeling on to your partner. And it's unfair. It's not right. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're constantly seeking out things that are outraging you, that are going out and making you just upset, pissed off, and angry all the time, then chances are you're, well, you're being caught up in a, in a media bubble in an information bubble, right? And you need to break free. You need to stop searching for those things. You need to start, you know, going through and just find something else to take a look at, right? You don't want to get trapped in that victimhood bubble. And you don't want to be taking out on your spouse things that they are not guilty of doing. And if you were in a situation where you started emotionally transferring everything that happened, every slight to anybody with the same genitalia as you, well, it's going to be a miserable life. You no, know, because shitty things happen to everybody all over the place. Right? Are you going to, you know, uh, Every mugger, you know, every time a person is mugged, or even just, you know, where does it end, right? Where does it end? You know, going through and going, now you're going to feel the slight, you know, of uh, feeling like every woman who, you know, went off and came down ill with cancer, or you know, um, I don't know, even as far as dying in a car accident, are you going to start emotionally transferring that as? being the same as it happening to you? I, I I get it. You know, this is not my typical show and I understand that, you know, and this started off as a rant about politicians, but it's very relevant because a lot of the things that politicians try to do is to put us in a box and get us emotionally connected to that box and then Emotionally identify with other people that are supposedly in that box with us and feeling anything that happened to anybody in that box happened to us and that we must take it out on anybody who is in the box with the person who committed the crime or who committed the offense, you know, and it doesn't even have to be a crime or, you know, such as rape or murder or, you know, a mugging. It can just be the person was rude. You know, the person is just a generic asshole. Right? And there are a lot of people out there that are assholes just for asshole's sake. It has nothing to do with skin colors or genitalia's or whatever. They're just natural assholes. Right? <laughs> we, uh, we've all encountered someone who's just an asshole just for the sake of being an asshole. But, you know, this whole emotional, uh, outrage transference you know, if you let it take hold in your particular relationship, it is toxic. It it will go through and really destroy any chance at happiness that you were ever hoping for. So now the question becomes, what do you do? What do you do if you find yourself in this particular situation or problem? where you've gone off and you've emotionally invested yourself into being a victim of something that didn't happen to you, and you started transferring onto your partner the the equivalent of being a perpetrator of an action that they themselves did not actually commit. Well, first off, you got to work on yourself. You got to work on changing your behaviors, which would be start shutting off all of the searches of, you know, trying to find more victims and people to identify as being a part of. This isn't the same as saying, you know, you got to shut off all caring about any bad thing that happens in the world. Of course, we should always be going off and thinking about, yes, we want to improve the world and become better as a people. But just like everything else, there can be unhealthy behaviors about it. So you need to start changing what your behaviors are, you know, and recognize what it is you're doing. The first, you know, step to solving a problem is recognizing that there is a problem and what that problem is, right? But it's the same thing that you would be doing if you're having troubles in your relationship, you know, for any other reason you know, or maybe you're having troubles just getting started in a relationship. Maybe you're still single and you're looking at this as advice for your future, you know, partner. Well, the first thing, you know, after you start recognizing what the problem is and you start changing your behaviors, right, you're changing the behaviors that are sabotaging your life and your relationship. And the example that I've given about the uh, emotional outrage transference is to stop looking for those situations to identify with and stop and don't just replace it with another, you know, situation to replace it with, right? Now, after you start changing your behaviors, one of the things uh, that you'll have to do is rack up some quick wins. You know, it's just like with exercising. If you set a goal and you reach that, you know, goal rather quickly and you rack up some quick wins and some successes, you're more likely to stick with your goals and actually accomplish them versus people who set some goals. They don't get any wins right off the bat. And so they just give up. So you have to start. Going off, changing your behaviors and setting yourself up for some quick wins. You know, some low hanging fruit of things that you can accomplish. Now this starts, you know, benefiting you in your relationship in multiple ways. Now, first off, if you're the type of person that's not yet in a relationship and you're trying to figure out how to get a relationship started, well, setting up some quick wins builds up your confidence and everybody everybody likes a confident person, right? Confident people just attract more people to them. And if you racked up some quick wins, you're not only confident, but now you're feeling like a winner and people love winners. They love success stories, right? So you start going off and you start creating some quick wins. Now, maybe the quick win, you know, initially is you don't uh, do any google searches in this particular uh, example for the problems for you know a week you know just go a week without doing any type of searches of people to uh, victims to identify with right that would be a quick win right or maybe you stop you know going into facebook for like a week i mean facebook you know it does have some great features to it some great things but it, Unfortunately, it also has a lot of negative aspects to it as well. Right. So you start setting up these quick wins. Maybe you lose five pounds. Maybe, maybe that's your, you know, quick win goal. You know, maybe, um, you know, your quick win is you, um, get your finances in order, you know, or just organize, you know, you budget and set up a debt snowball and you can calculate. Wow, I can get rid of my first debt in this short of time. I, I was responsible. I went off and did this budgeting thing, right? Or, you know, just pick something based off of your interest, based off of, you know, your life, you know, something that would be a quick win. Maybe, maybe a quick win for you is to uh, reignite the physical aspects of your relationship, the sexual aspects of your relationship. And so a quick win for you to get over this whole identifying as a victim of something that never happened to you and stop, you know, outrage transference to your partner is you just say, you know what? I It never happened to me. They never committed such an act. I'm going to take them to the bedroom right now, give them a blowjob, right? Maybe that could be your quick win, right? That could be your quick win, you know, to build up your confidence that you can do this and help healing the relationship, right? And of course, you know, where you're at in your relationship will determine what that quick win is. I mean, guys, you know, I mean, there could be a lot of things said about guys and how easily we can be turned on and, you know, and, you know, willing to go for sex and all of that. But, you know, going from being told you're a horrible garbage human being to do you want to fuck? I mean, that that that's kind of too much of a quick turnaround. You know, so, You know, while you could try that, you know, I would try and find a more lower hanging fruit, uh, for you to go off and to try and get your quick win. And then as you get quick wins, you start feeling like a winner. You start building up some confidence. You have, you know, more belief in yourself and people, and you start being a generally happier person, a confident, happier person tends to gravitate good people towards them. And, you know, and it builds upon that, you know, that success of, you know, no matter how small, it gets the ball rolling to bigger successes, happier successes, and helps you, you know, set your way towards mending your relationship and having a better relationship. And as you go off and you change your behavior, yes, there will be some behaviors in which you will be selfish. And you know what? Not all selfish behaviors are bad because you do need to take care of yourself first. You know, I, I get this, you know, you're married and so you want your partner to help take care of you. Yes. But the key word is help to take care of you, but they can't necessarily take care of you, not in a permanent sense. I mean, if you got, injured temporarily, then yes, they can take care of you temporarily taking care of all your basic needs. But you can't rely on your partner, you know, your spouse, you know, husband, wife, whatever, to make you happy. And by the way, even though I've been speaking mostly to women in this episode about the emotional outrage transference, this is an issue that can affect men as well feeling like they're a victim of something and taking it out on their spouse, on their wife, right? So this is still relevant to you too, although it's probably less of men engaged in it. No, but in any event, you can't depend on your spouse or your partner for your happiness, for you to feel fulfilled in life. You need to take care of your basic needs, right? You need to figure out what are the type of things that actually make you happy, not what pisses you off. You need to think about that. And then you need to build upon that happiness and start engaging in that. Maybe what makes you happy or what helps out is going for, you know, a walk, you know, getting some exercise in, losing some weight. You know, if you're overweight, losing weight can have a very beneficial effect. And yet that can also be deemed as a selfish behavior because you're taking time out for yourself, for self-improvement. And during that time of when you would go out and exercise, you if you have kids, you're probably leaving the kids with the spouse that is not exercising with you, right? Your spouse. And so this is selfish behavior, but it's not bad behavior everyone needs a little me time in order to work on themselves and find a way to relax and de-stress. For some of you, exercise is what de-stresses you. Others, maybe it's reading a book. You know, a good book helps relax and de-stress you. You know, there's a whole lot of things that you can do, but you can't, you know, expect that it's your spouse that needs to take care of you be responsible for your happiness. And so if you're miserable, it's your spouse's fault. Well, that just goes back into the emotional outrage transference. Instead of taking responsibility for yourself, you're just blaming everything that you don't like about your own life on your spouse, right? And that for some reason, you're not responsible for the outcome of your life. You know, you're just scapegoating that everyone else is responsible for everything that you want. And saying this out loud, you're going off and going, well, yeah, duh, no kidding. But saying it out loud just, you know, makes it obvious. But being able to recognize that and taking a self-assessment on that could be something, you know, a completely different step altogether. You know, it's, you know, some people can recognize, you know, and other people, Something that is bad behavior, something that is only going to lead to misery, but they don't recognize it when they themselves are doing it. And so hopefully with that you understand the difference between, you know, selfish behavior and bad behavior, because they're not one and the same. And don't do any type of ultimatum. Oh, if you really loved me, you would prove it by you know X. You know, you would prove it by you know, validating my outrage and my my feeling like a victim of something that never happened to me. If you really loved me, you would go off and, you know, uh, buy me this. Oh, if you love me, you would do this for me, right? That is toxic behavior, right? That is horrible, toxic behavior, and yet you may feel justified you know, in doing that or engaging in that type of behavior because you feel like a victim, right? But asking your partner to prove they love you by doing X, I mean, that's just like the same type of people that go off and say, well, if God really existed, he would prove it by yada, yada, yada. Look, I got a newsflash for you, right? And whether you're religious or non-religious here, But if you are, you know, if, you know, the concept of God, right, the concept of God is massive, right? So if you believe in a God or you're trying to decide whether or not you believe in God, well, if you did, recognize that God created everything, right? The universe, all the stars, all the little atoms and particles every animal every plant every insect every person compared to that you're pretty insignificant and god really doesn't have wouldn't have anything to prove to anybody you know and for you to think that you're so important that god what you know if he exists you know, would drop whatever he's doing on a dime's notice or on a moment's notice to personally prove to you God's existence. I mean, what an arrogant thought that would be. And yet, if we take that down, you know, to a little notch here or a few notches here to your spouse. That your spouse has to prove they love you. Not by, you know, how they react to you emotionally or try to be good spouse, you know, to help take care of the family, you know, helping raising the kids and all of that, but has to prove it by doing this very specific thing that you want. You understand that's toxic. You understand. What a horrible behavior you're engaging in with that. And yet you want to go off and say, Oh, well, you know, let me try and put this uh, into the context of, you know, this particular episode. Oh, if you were really outraged by our, you know, if you really supported me, if you really loved me, you would, you know, uh, identify yourself as being a problem, you would recognize that just because of the immutable characteristics that you have, that you're part of an oppressor group. And you and therefore, if you really loved me, you would understand that and personally apologize for something that somebody else did. I mean, could you imagine the insanity of that? Do you understand, you know, hearing that out loud, how crazy that is? And yet that's what some of you will go off and do, right? You'll go off and, you know, emotionally invest yourself into feeling like a victim of something that didn't happen to you, but happened to somebody that you identify with. You take it out on someone who didn't actually commit the act, but you identify as having the same characteristics as the person who did. You try to say that that person must prove they love you by apologizing for something that they didn't do or buy you something or you know let you you know just spend money you know willy-nilly, and then blame them if you're not happy and stating that your happiness is dependent on them making you happy. It's all crazy talk here you need to take personal responsibility for yourself. You can't claim victimhood status if you're not an actual victim, right? You got to, you know, wonder if you're doing uh, emotional outrage transference if there is just something that you're trying to avoid in your own life, right? You Or you're just trying to scapegoat a failure in your own life As being some sort of, uh, systematic oppression of some sort. Are you just trying to scapegoat, you know, what it is you're unhappy about in your own life and trying to invest yourself into, you know, into that scapegoat reason, you know, into that victimhood mentality? Because if the problem, you know, wasn't your fault, if the problem wasn't you know some you know uh, based off of personal responsibility of you you know then you can't fix it right therefore because you didn't cause the problem the problem was this external entity and therefore you know if you can't fix it you, then you don't have to try and everyone's supposed to you know in your life Everyone is just supposed to feed you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear. And that's really what this all kind of boils down to, is you trying to find excuses why, you know, your life isn't what you want it to be. And you're trying to make it seem like it was something that was not within your realm of control. And granted, there are not everything is within your realm of control. True, how you choose to react to it is. But as long as something's not actually your problem, then you know. Or as long as something's not actually your fault, then you don't need to take the responsibility to fix it. And that's what this all comes down to. And that's the mindset that you need to change. Your life is 100% the result of the choices you make, whether you choose to play the victim or you choose to be the victor. That's what this all really comes down to. You know, emotional outrage transference really, in its simplest form, is another way to avoid responsibility or to avoid having to address issues in your own life. You know, it's just another avoidance issue and taking it out on your spouse is just, I don't know, just because you're a crappy person, I guess, <laughs> you know, if you're taking things out on your spouse for things they didn't do. But uh, on a more serious note, taking it out on your spouse is just a way for you to get, you know, kind of a confirmation bias because when you take it out in your spouse of course they're going to react in that moment and then how they react can feed in to your particular narrative or your particular excuse and then all of a sudden you're like well see I knew it I knew that was the problem and I know that you know because I it wasn't anything I did there's nothing I can do to fix it all right so I think, uh, that's going to be it, uh, for this particular episode. I know it's taken a little bit of a different tone. You know, I was a little more salty in, in this particular episode. And maybe it's because I'm completely annoyed by, you know, the ending, you know, home stretch of politics. know, And so I understand if this may not be your favorite episode, but hey, you know, I'm based off of you know your reactions your feedback and everything you tend to enjoy almost all the episodes that i do produce out so you know if there's an episode where i'm a little salty and you don't like it well just stick around next week i will be in a much better mood i am sure of it thank you so much for tuning in don't forget to leave me a rating and a review and i will be back again soon